Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford is a ministry of Central Church in Collierville, Tennessee. Please visit us online at centralchurch.com. What does it take for guilty man to be made right with holy God? The Bible tells us all have sinned. We've all broken God's law and we all stand guilty. And God says that the wages of our sin is death. And you can't earn salvation. You can't bribe God with good works. So what do we do? This is the truth. There's only one way to be made right with God, and it's a free gift. And the moment that you repent, the moment you place your faith that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins, God will make you right with Him. He will wash you. He will make you white as snow. So moment of truth today, what will you do with Jesus? Welcome to Moment of Truth with Pastor Matt Shackelford. Have the trials of life stolen your song? The authors of the Psalms were no strangers to hard times and often poured their despair out to God. In Psalm 46, God shows us three reasons to sing again. All of these reasons are rooted in the character of God, who shows us that He is more than enough for life's trials. Let's turn to Psalm 46 and listen in now for your moment of truth. Well, let's take our Bibles. Let's open to Psalm 46. This morning we're in Psalm 46. As you're turning there, there was a a hilarious story that came out in the Galveston Press a while back about a parakeet named Chippy. The owner, uh, I don't know if you have birds or if you've ever had the experience of having a bird, but the owner hated uh, cleaning out the birdcage. And so uh, the owner came up with a genius idea to speed up that process. She took her canister vacuum and took the attachment off on the end to sort of clean things up on the bottom of the cage. And it was all going great until the phone rang. And when the phone rang, she turned, moved the hose up, and it was bye-bye Chippy. Chippy was gone. Realizing what happened, the owner uh, went to the canister vacuum, opened it up, took the lid off, and uh, there was Chippy in a big pile of dirt and soot and crumbs. And uh, it was quite a moment. She took that poor bird, uh, ran it over to hot water. The water was a little too hot. And so she turned on the cold water and rinsed it off. And then Chippy was just shivering. And so she took Chippy by the feet and started blow-drying this little bird. And uh, as that happened, she took the bird, put it back in the cage. Everything's fine. Fluffed him up. It was, it was great. A while later, the person at the Galveston Press who fielded the story called the owner just to check in. Hey, how's, how's Chippy doing? And I, I wrote this piece about your bird. I just wanted to see how everything turned out. And the owner said, well, Chippy looks okay. But Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. And she just sort of sits there and stares. I love that story because, you know, I think, I think for us, I think we understand what's going on in the life of that bird. I think all of us realize we're a lot like Chippy. Life is traumatizing. Life is uh, difficult. Life is hard. 
And it's that way because we're living under a curse. We're living under a cursed condition known as the fall. And we feel it every day, don't we? It's the fall that threatens to take away our song. Life is traumatizing. You feel it when you go to the doctor and you feel a diagnosis or you hear that diagnosis from the doctor. You feel it when your, your friends are lost to death. You feel it with a sick child. You feel it with a lost loved one. Maybe it's as simple as a difficult day at the office, a difficult week, month, year. Maybe for some of you it's been just a hard life. We know what it's like to be traumatized. We know what it's like to go through difficult days because life is just, it's just disappointing sometimes. My cousin Caitlin just had her, her first baby, such a great time. And the baby was born and they realized that the heart was so deformed the doctors had to sit down and say, we, we need to have surgery on this child, but we want to be honest with you, we don't even know where to start. It's that bad. We all feel those moments that threaten to take away our song, don't we? So today what I want to do is I want to preach through Psalm 46, a sermon I've entitled Singing in the Rain. My goal for you today is to get back your song. I want to help you in a traumatizing world and uh, this is a powerful psalm, and it shows that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your difficulty is in life, God is more than sufficient for the troubles of life and the trials of life. God is more than sufficient, but we need to know our God. Your best hope for me today is to tell you something of who God is, and that's what Psalm 46 does. So let's do this. Let's take our Bibles in our hands. Let's stand together in honor of God's Word. We're in Psalm 46. I'm reading from the ESV, and uh, we'll just read through the whole psalm. Psalm 46, starting in verse 1. We stand in honor of God's Word. Chapter 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Dear friends, so reads God's Word. Let's receive it this morning with joy. You may be seated. Psalm 46 is a very personal and very uh, powerful passage to me just because of my life's history. Back in 2013, my wife was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, and we were in the hospital not knowing what was going on uh, for a couple of weeks where we laid in a hospital bed asking God, why? Why have you let this happen? Why has this been allowed to come to our doorstep? And as we read the Psalms, as we read the Holy Scriptures, we, we came to Psalm 46, and this was a very personal, a very powerful ministry to our hearts in the middle of a very difficult place. 
This was a, a psalm that gave us our song in the night. Not just for us. Not just for us. For many in church history, Psalm 46 has been especially powerful. In fact, it was Martin Luther who had all sorts of troubles in his day. He used to say to his good friend, Philip Melanchthon, he would say, come Philip, let's sing the 46. And they would raise their voices and, and they'd sing, you know it, a mighty fortress is our God, right? A bulwark never failing. And they would raise their voices and they would sing of a God who never fails his people. This has been a powerful song for God's people, and it's powerful because, because it shows that God is, is more than enough for all of our problems. Notice how clearly, if you'll take your Bible and just look at the text, notice how clear the divisions are in this text. Do you see it? Notice there's three main sections. All of them are uh, ended with the word Selah. Selah is one of those uh, untranslatable words. It's just transliterated, just Selah. Uh, we think it's probably, I was telling someone just this week, we think it means something along the lines of praise Yahweh, halal Yah, praise the Lord, or think about the Lord, or meditate on the Lord, or it's a, a musical interlude, or it could be a lot of different things. It could mean snorkel, all right? We don't know what it means, but we think it, it means to praise God, to praise the Lord. Some things to think about to think about the Lord. And there's three very clear points that come out of these three very natural divisions. I'm going to give you the whole sermon right here. You ready? Point number one, God is a refuge in disaster. We're going to see that today. We're going to see that in verses one to three. In verses four through seven, God is a resource when you're empty. Anybody empty this morning? It's my prayer that as we get to point two, God will fill you. God will remind you that he will be a resource to you in your trouble. Point number three, God is a ruler over rebels. Does it, does it feel like life's out of control? Does it feel like things are out of your control? Does it feel like you have enemies surrounding you? We're going to see that God is ultimately sovereign over all things so his people can rest. That's where we're headed this morning. So let's get into it. Let me do this. Let me start with the setting. Before we get to our main points, I, I think I need to help you understand what were the circumstances surrounding this psalm? Well, it seems to be a national emergency. This seems to be a period in Israel's history of national emergency. This might have been their 9-11, where the entire nation is under attack. In fact, many commentators, uh, including Calvin, said that, that this was the time around 701 and 722 where Sennacherib attacked the people of Israel, and he swept through the land, conquering city after city after city. This was a national emergency. They came on the land like locusts, and Sennacherib ended up attacking 46 cities in Israel, just destroying them one by one, just marching through the lands, one city right after the other, and they were brutal and they were violent. In fact, Habakkuk records that, that, that these Chaldeans, these Assyrians, they would, they would take people and they would lead them away like fish on a, on a, on a chain, like fish on a hook. And, and history records they would sometimes put hooks into the jaws of their captives and drag them away into captivity. And we're told that 200,000 Israelites were led away into captivity. This was a national emergency. This is, this is dark times. And there's one city left. It's the city of Jerusalem, where Hezekiah is on the throne as the king. And Sennacherib comes at this moment that's recorded three times in Scripture. We, we know this is a big event because it's recorded at three different books of the Bible. 
2 Chronicles 32, 2 Kings, and Isaiah all record this, this moment of disaster. Sennacherib comes to the final city in Israel. He comes with an interpreter so that the people could hear, and he said something like this. He said, you think that your God is going to save you? I've conquered every other city, conquered countless cities before Jerusalem. Their God didn't save them. What makes you think you're going to be any different? He was saying that uh, there's no stopping me. That's the context. This is a moment of ultimate despair. These are the darkest moments of King Hezekiah's life. It's that moment when he knows his life is on the line. The story goes on. It's a great story. You ought to go back in your devotionals this week and read about it. What happens next is 2 Kings says that King Hezekiah, after hearing Sennacherib and his threats, he goes away. 2 Kings has that beautiful line, he spreads the matter before the Lord. It's almost like like he takes the letter from King Sennacherib and just says, Lord, look at this. Look at this. I I can't defeat this. I can't solve this problem. Lord, you're going to have to do something. And the story goes that that night, in fact, the very next day, God sends an angel in the night, one angel, one angel, and one angel smotes 185,000 Assyrians. And Israel wakes up the next day to the battlefield, and there's just bodies everywhere, and God destroys that, that army that was sieging Jerusalem. That's the story. That's the context. And I want you to just write this down if you're taking notes. This psalm was written to celebrate and to remind us that security is not peace from my enemies, it's the knowledge of my God. That's what I want to do for you today. That's the best thing I can do for you. It's help you understand who God is. And if God is fighting for you, you have no stress. You have no anxiety. So let's start, let's just work through those three simple points. Number one, if you're taking notes, we need to know that that God is a resource in disaster. Verse one says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That verse is, um, it's a diamond mind of terms. You can look through here and there's just amazing terms. The first one is refuge. Refuge, that's what God is. He's a refuge to his, his people. The word there is masada, masada. How many of you have been to Israel? Anyone? A few of you have been to Israel? How many of you have been to masada? You have, okay. I have a few pictures. Let me put one up. This is a picture of Masada. It's a plain, it's a mesa, and it's about 1,500 feet above the rest of the area. And uh, Ashley and I, we climbed Masada, and there's something called the snake path, and it kind of works its way up the mountain. It's a very narrow path in order to get to the top. That snake path was said that it could be defended by about three soldiers with bows and arrows. And so you had to go single file line. This was truly a fortress. It was said that for four years, they had enough food and water for 900 people to survive there, plus some. Food and water. They had abundant food, abundant water. It was truly a fortress. It's a safe place. That's the word we're dealing with. God is a fortress. God is a safe place. Look at the next word, strength. Strength. And it's, it's strength outside of ourselves. Look at verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength. This is saying that he is your source of power. Don't depend on yourself. Don't trust in yourself. Exodus 15 says, the Lord is my strength and my song. When we run out of power, when we run out of strength, we discover that God has abundant strength to go to work for us. 
Notice he takes it a little bit further. God is a very present help. You could translate that uh, a found help. I have little kids, and they love hide-and-go-seek, and I'm really good at hiding. What I love to do is go and hide, and my kids will come and try to find me, and, and sometimes they can't find their dad, and so I have to kind of make noises, and I have to reveal myself to my children and come out into the open. That's what our Heavenly Father is like, except He doesn't hide. He makes it obvious. He's right there. He's a found help. He's uh, an ever-present help, and He's an easy help to find. That's so encouraging in the midst of our trial. God never hides for, from us. God never hides Himself away from us. He's always near, always that Heavenly Father ready to provide help. And notice when, the next term, it's in trouble. God is a help to us in trouble. I know that there are many false teachers out there. There are many prosperity gospel teachers out there. I see those guys on television all the time, and they'll say, if you'll just follow Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and happy. Everything will go well for you. They're on TV all the time. How many of you have seen them? Every time I flip through the channels, I just want to stab myself in the eye with a fork because that is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. In fact, here we see the truth that God will preserve us in trouble, not from trouble. Hezekiah had to discover that. Do this. Take your Bible. Open to 2 Chronicles. Let's go back and look at part of Hezekiah's story. 2 Chronicles 31 tells us just a little bit more. This is so fascinating. In verse 20, 2 Chronicles 31 verse 20, it says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good. And listen to this. He did what was good and right before the Lord and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Is this a good thing or bad thing? This is very good, right? He is, he is following the Lord with all his heart, all his mind, all his strength. He's loving God. Next verse, look at verse 1 of chapter 32. It says, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities. That just seems out of place, doesn't it? He was faithful. I mean, this guy was serving God. He was, he's a good guy. He's, he's bringing in reform into the, the people of God. And, it, and I feel like it should say, after all of his faithfulness, God rewarded him with a long life, good health, and long vacations. That's not what it says. Theologically, you and I have to come to the place where we understand that none of us will be exempt from trouble. But God will be faithful to you in trouble. David wasn't spared the valley of the shadow of death, but God was faithful to him through the valley of the shadow of death. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they weren't saved from the fiery furnace. They were saved through the fiery furnace. There's other people throughout Scripture who are, who are, remi who are reminders to us that, that God doesn't spare us from the difficult things of life just like other people, but He's faithful to us in trouble. Theologically, that's where we have to be. I remember a sermon Jesus preached about the two houses. Maybe you remember this. Remember the house that was built on the rock? And then there's this other house that was built on the sand, right? And the storm comes, 
and the house on the rock stands, and the, the house on the sand falls, and great was its fall. And that's the reminder that sometimes we think about this like, if I just build my house on Jesus, I'll have no problems. I'll have no issues in my life. But remember, the same storm hits both houses. Both houses have to go through the storm. You are not exempt. But for those who are in Christ, for those who have built their house on the rock, God is a faithful God to his people, and he will carry you through. Sometimes God will calm the storm, but most of the time, God calms us in the storm. We need to remember that. Look at verse 2. Look at the extent. God was a refuge for Hezekiah. In verse 2, it says, therefore, we will not fear. Here's the big therefore. Because this is true about God, we won't fear. Now, that's amazing to me because there was so much to fear. When you go to Israel, you discover all these cities, these 46 cities, they're actually really close together. As the cities are, as Sennacherib sweeping through the land, you can hear the battle cries. You can hear the marching of troops. You can see the smoke going up into the air. It's a scary moment. And your city's next. They just conquered the other city. Yours is next. There's a lot to fear. And yet in verse 2, there's a shout of defiance. We will not fear. Why? Because he knows something about God that transcends his present instability. Look at verse 2. Look how bad it gets. And this might speak to some of you because you could say, I am in the middle of the worst disaster you could imagine. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. God wants to say this to you. Look at verse 2. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, this is the worst scenario you could possibly imagine. In fact, I remember growing up in Oklahoma and we had these big tornadoes that would come through and, and my family would drive through the cities after those tornadoes and you, you can't even imagine the devastation, the broken, tr huge trees just snapped in half. And we'd, we'd go through and we'd see that this is far worse. This isn't just a windstorm. This isn't just a tornado. Even the mountains aren't safe. The mountains themselves are being cast in the heart of the sea. There's no stable ground anywhere. And he's saying, even in the middle of all that, God will be an unmoving refuge for you. You need to hear that, man of God. Man of God, are you listening? You need to hear that, whatever you're going through. Woman of God, Child of God, you need to hear that today, that God is a safe place to hide. You need to let Him be your refuge. Don't hide in your wealth. All the money in the world can't get you out of the hospital bed, can't sustain you. Don't hide in your plans. God may change your plans. Hezekiah has both an army and walls, and he does not trust either. He trusts God. He lays the matter before God. He turns his panic into prayer. It's a great thought for us this morning. So that's our first point. God is a refuge in disaster. There's a second point this morning. Know that God is a resource when empty. God is a resource when empty. Are any of you here feeling empty this morning? Feeling like you can't go on? Feeling like your tank is out of gas? He keeps us going. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. This river is a, uh, a symbol throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of God's faithfulness and God's satisfaction for his people. In fact, didn't Jesus say to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, you ought to drink of me? He said, whoever drinks of me, I will give him water and he shall never thirst again. 
John 7, at the feast, Jesus stands up and said, Is anybody thirsty? Let him come to me. Let him drink. This is the reminder that God is satisfaction, that Jesus Christ can be your satisfaction even when the entire world and the scenarios around you are so dissatisfied. We trust that today's message has been a challenge and an encouragement. Jesus tells us that truth always demands a response. So he calls us to be doers of his word, not hearers only. So this is your moment of truth. How is God calling you to respond? If you would like to watch or listen to this message, please visit online at centralchurch.com. We'd also love to worship with you online. Join us at 9.30 or 11 a.m. every Sunday as we stream our services on Facebook or through our website. If you would like to donate or support this program, please mail a gift or you can call us at 866-TRUTH-TN and someone will be standing by to receive your donation. We are located at 2005 Winchester Boulevard in Collierville, Tennessee. We can't wait to explore God's truths with you next week. Moment of Truth is sponsored by Central Church. Hi, Pastor Matt here from Moment of Truth. I just wanted to invite you to join us this year for Easter at Central Church. This year we're having an online service where you can interact and get to know some of the people of God, even amidst the things that are happening in this world with the coronavirus. So please join us April 12th, 9.30 and 11 a.m. centralchurch.com backslash live. That's our live stream. We hope to see you there. Also at 8.30, we're going to enjoy a wonderful time of worship in the Word of God on Sunday morning, Easter morning at 8.30 on the BOT Radio Network. 